Rusty Quill presents. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Cole. Uh, missed you again. So I figured I'd leave a little recording. You know, like a little, hey, hi, how are you, sort of thing. Uh, Halloween's coming up soon. Um, I, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I see you've been recording lots. That's, that's good. Um, missed you, buddy. <clears throat> uh, 
Okay, uh, on to business. This is entry 3128, titled Something in the Sea. Written and submitted to the exchange uh, from a member going by the name Christian Wallace. Recorded by Mark LaBeouf. I've always loved the sea. It's not that I'm a sailor or anything, but growing up around the coast means I've always felt close to it. My wife and I met on our first date at a beach in Rhodesia, and after we returned from teaching abroad in the 70s, we brought our very first house, right by the sea, in Wales. In that house, we raised two sons, four grandchildren, five dogs, one stray cat, all over the span of 38 years. It's been a good life. I haven't regretted a minute of it. Not even as I watched my wife struggle with her chest, and not even when I fell asleep on the sofa and awoke to find her cold in her recliner. Losing her, it's been the biggest struggle of my entire life. I used to tell her that life wouldn't be worth living without her, and it never occurred to me that I might have to face it. Doctors say it was a clot in her lungs, which is a bitter irony. <laughs> How many years did I smoke? God, it was most of my life, and I never once saw her even look at a cigarette. The doctor said it was nothing to do with that, but it's not really the point. The point is that I smoked and drank and ate poorly, and every morning she'd wake up early and do the same exercise tape for the best part of 25 years. We even kept a VHS player just so she wouldn't have to get a new routine. Even now, it just seems so absurd that she died first, and so young as well. I thought she'd live to be a hundred, just like her mother. But life's funny like that. After her death, I spent the last year battling a dark cloud in my mind. My sons have worked hard to keep my head above water, making sure I do simple things like eat and bathe. I lived a kind of fugu state for the first few months, barely registering who I was speaking to or what I was doing. It wasn't until the girl that things changed for me. I was sitting on my bed, uh, this was about two months after the funeral, when I heard a scream. It was about 1am, I reckon. I didn't sleep much back then, but this scream, it was awful. It wasn't a panicked scream. No, it was like this agonised screeching, just a short burst of unspeakable agony. Before I even had time to process what had happened, I was limping out into my backyard with a robe on, shouting into the wind-whipped darkness. 
I remember walking up to the threshold of my yard where it opens onto a small bit of forestry before the sandy beach and standing there shivering and scared. I was so scared and confused, even as I shouted over and over, Hello? Is anybody out there? The only thing I ever saw that night were the trees lit up by my torch, looking like bright white sticks of chalk against a blackboard. I kept telling myself it was just a fox, but I knew damn well what a fox sounds like, and it wasn't that. The next day, as soon as the sun rose, I went looking, walking through the woods until I made it down onto the open beach. With the tide just pulling in and the wet sand reflecting the low winter sun, it felt like standing on a plain of glass that stank of salt and decay. I quickly found a small fire pit close to the trees and far from the water. It's not uncommon for teenagers to come and drink and smoke around here, so I figured that maybe some kids had been hanging around that night. The only other things around were some dead crabs, bits of driftwood, and a braying tangle of seagulls. At first I ignored them, but as I continued to scan the horizon, I glimpsed a flash of colour between their flapping wings. I hurried over and kicked them all away. They'd been fighting over her. It was awful. I knew instantly it was the person who had screamed. She couldn't have been much older than 13, although the police won't say for sure because they're still not sure who she actually is. It's just something about the backpack. It looked the sort of thing a younger girl might have. She was probably invited along by an older boy and snuck out without her parents knowing. They do it all the time. Hell, I did. Sometimes, when I have nightmares, I still see that seaweed-covered pile of ribbon-like flesh. My eldest son gave me a bit of a row for going down there on my own, but the police thanked me for calling them. For weeks afterwards, that girl's death haunted me. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just, I just couldn't get it out of my head. I called the police every day for a week, hoping to hear some update, but they never gave me anything. It's not that I was hoping for good news. I knew better than to expect good news. But some answers, maybe. And yet, nothing ever came. At least, not from there. What I did then was to start waiting in my backyard each night. I kind of hoped that I might see something. A part of me, deep down, deep, deep down, hoped I might even be able to stop what had hurt her and martyr myself in the process. After a few weeks of nothing but wind, I started walking to the beach each morning, worried that I might find another victim. I felt like I was the only one who even really cared. I know that's not true, but in that house, all on my own, I felt like I was the only one even trying to stop it happening again. It was during one of those walks I first saw the line. I didn't recognize it for what it was, no, it just looked like seaweed. A plump piece of seaweed that lay on a wet sandy shore like half-chewed licorice, while a black stalk as thick as my wrist ran all the way into the sea. I stared at it for a bit, horrified by the smell and the way it seemed to writhe and bubble in the open air. I thought it might have been some strange, unseen animal. I was set to ignore it, but something about the pustule-covered oily surface piqued my curiosity so badly that I grabbed a nearby stick and poked it. 
I... I wasn't prepared for what happened next. I, I don't think anyone could be. The mass just disappeared. At first I heard a loud twang, then a splash. Then I felt a breeze around my face, and then I was just looking at a crater in the sand. But I cannot emphasize just how quick this thing was. By the time my brain had even registered the thing's absence, it was long gone. I didn't even see it move. It, it just disappeared. It was like someone had edited a camera to make it disappear from one frame to the next. At first, I just sort of suppressed the strange experience. I thought it was unrelated to everything, and I wasn't in a good place mentally, so I just sort of forgot it. I was still hoping to find out what happened to that girl, and as far as I was concerned, that thing was probably just a weird fish. Except the next day, I went for my morning walk and it was back. This time, there were some feathers sticking out of it. Up close to it, I saw the mangled, half-alive body of a seagull. It looked awful. The bird was squawking over and over, and the brutal, half-broken flapping of its wings was making a terrible racket. I, I didn't know exactly what had happened to it. I suspected it may have become trapped, maybe when it was looking for some food, or... I've always had a policy of being kind to animals. So I bent down and pulled it out, and there was the sound of something going taut, the thronging of a rope, then a crack, then a whoosh, and then I was looking at nothing. It was so utterly bizarre and, and shocking. I didn't even react at first. I just stood there, trying to process what I'd seen. I decided afterwards that maybe it wasn't so good for me to go walking to the beach during the morning. I half suspected I was going a bit mad. A few weeks passed. The girl was mostly what occupied my mind during that time. I was happy to have the distraction from the death of my wife, and in some ways I thought that by worrying over this poor dead child, I was doing something nobler than just looking after myself. It remained like that for quite some time, until one day I woke up and looked outside to find my bins thrown around the garden. This sort of thing can happen now and again, of course, what with foxes being quite common. But foxes don't normally move the heavy wheelie bins. It would have been a struggle for me to drag them that far, let alone an animal. Going downstairs, I saw all of my rubbish thrown around, and initially my heart sank at the thought of having to go and clean it up. But as I approached one bin that had snagged on a bush, I suddenly noticed it wasn't actually a bin at all. It was the seaweed again. The way the plastic rubbish was dotted around and through it, and the way it looked so shiny and strange. It looked very much like a bin bag. It was... Well, it, it was convincing. That's what made me scared. There was even a clump of black seaweed at the very top, shaped just like a little knot. Exactly the kind of knot you tie at the top of a bin bag. And the way it was nestled in the bush meant that you had to look quite hard to see the twisted stalk trailing off into the woods. I couldn't understand it. It was terrifying. Nothing was making any sense, but I was pretty sure that this thing 
whatever it was, well, it was trying to trick me. And not just in the way that a moth might trick a spider with camouflage. No, this felt like a very clever trick. For a moment, I actually reached down, ready to give it a quick poke and see what happened when I heard a creak. It sounded like a rope under tension, or wood being stood on. It sounded like something winding up in anticipation. I hesitated, and then just decided to leave it alone and back away. Something about the thing changed when I stopped bending down and moved away. It suddenly began to throb. It looked a little bit like it had been holding its breath to stay still. By the time I'd walked upstairs, I looked out the window and saw that it was already gone. It was a few days before I saw it again. Enough time had passed that I'd managed to try and forget at least a little bit of what had happened. I'd spent all day watching TV, just like I do every day, and then fallen asleep in the living room chair. When I woke up, the window was open and the lights were off. I could feel the draft. It felt sharp, and my knees ached from where the blanket had slid down onto the floor. I wiped my face of drool and checked my watch, seeing that it was 2am. I was groggy at this stage, thinking that it was a little unusual that I'd turned the lights off. Still, my wife had always kept a lamp beside her chair to help her read, and I reached over to turn it on when I heard a subtle creak. I froze and looked across. It was there. It was smaller this time, probably to help it fit through the window, but it was there, bunched around the lamp, steady and waiting. If it wasn't for the moonlight pouring in through the living room window, I would have never seen it. That slick black flesh disappeared utterly into shadow. Looking around, I saw the twisted black stalk as thick as my arm, trailing across my living room floor and up through the open window. I stood up, shaking with fear, and went to turn the light on, noticing the strange black-purple residue that was left on the switch. The same residue that now soaked my carpet, filling my living room with the stench of rotting fish and strange salty air. Once again, that strange mass had started throbbing once I moved away, looking like it relaxed its dreadful ruse. I grabbed a nearby newspaper, and in anger, I walked over and hit it. I don't know exactly what I expected, but the speed of the thing. The living room window was torn practically out of the wall, and the air rushed as if it displaced from an explosion, and my rug had friction burns. Actual burns charred into the fibre of where the thing had moved so fast it damn near ignited the nylon. And the newspaper I'd held. It had been snatched out of my hand so fast my skin was left bloodied and my wrist was sore for days. But what had worried me most, even in the moment, was the sense that it had actively tried to grab me. My eyes had barely registered it but I swore I saw that thing clamp onto the paper with phlegmy tendrils. If it wasn't for the fact I'd used a random object, it would have succeeded. After that, I couldn't get the idea out of my head. It was a lure. It was a goddamn fishing lure. It was a smart, sophisticated fishing lure. And it was trying to drag me into the damn sea.
What the hell for, I couldn't imagine. But I had a damn good guess that when it was done with me, it wouldn't be throwing me back. I became paranoid pretty quickly. I started carrying a flashlight with me at all times. I never left any windows open. But there was this horrible sense. You see, I knew nothing about this thing. But it had known enough about me to switch off the light and then set the lamp as a law. I started double-checking every little thing. Would it rig the toilet paper of one of my many midnight bathroom trips? Would it rig the very rug I walked on to get to the lights? What about my bed? My pillows? My clothes? How often do you wake up groggy-eyed and barely sentient and shamble into your morning routine? It wasn't just the fear. It was the false positives. It was the way I'd scold myself if I grabbed something without looking. It was the way I'd live in constant fear of messing up all over again. I made sure I knew just how much luck had saved my skin up until that point, and I kept telling myself my luck would not hold out for much longer. That's not a healthy way to live, by the way. It's actually quite exhausting. I just kept hoping it would somehow end. And as the weeks passed, I started to hope that maybe the Lord left me alone, finding me a little too smart. Looking back, that's quite a laughable idea. If anything, I had drastically underestimated the law. You see, I'd always had a fondness for cats. My wife had preferred dogs, and while I love all animals, I'd grown up with cats, and I liked their company a lot. And secretly, I'd always wished I could have more. It was late one night when I heard a strange meow coming from just beyond the window. It was a stormy night, and you could hear the sea battering the distant cliffs. I ignored it at first because it's so typical for cats around here to fight and cry, but the sound kept coming. Sitting there, listening to this creature in pain, I couldn't help but get to thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I had a cat in my old age? I could find one, and help it, and call the vets in the morning and the cat would maybe stick around. I had images of a little ginger tabby cat sauntering around the kitchen as I potted about. God, I was being so stupid. I rushed outside, and followed the noise. It was almost regular, like a church organ. When I traced it, I found a cat's back end sticking out of a bush. It looked a little like it was struggling, almost like it had become stuck. I was so wound up, so broken from the lack of sleep and distressed by the sound of the pain that I came so close, mere inches away from touching the orange fur. But something within me told me otherwise. In the moment, I hated it. I hated that thought. I so badly wanted to help another living thing that I secretly loathed this part of me that suggested that maybe, just maybe, it was all part of the law. I took a deep breath and pulled back the bushes, and what I saw horrified me. It hadn't even found a living cat. Or if it had, 
it certainly hadn't let it live for long. You see, this thing, this amorphous tendril-wielding lump of tobacco spit come to life, had driven long knuckled fingers that looked like grotesque spider legs deep into the belly of this cat. Before my very eyes I saw those fingers spread the cat's ribs and then squeeze them shut, pushing a writhing and unnatural cry out of the animal's mouth as it did so. It was like some twisted, hellish version of a bagpipe. I fell backwards and screamed. The very sight made me want to vomit. I couldn't bear it. I was so angry I wanted to grab that damn law and yank whatever the hell was in that ocean out to meet me and face my wrath. It took every ounce of my willpower to stop myself. That's what made it so clever. It knew. It knew exactly how to push my buttons. It wasn't about tricking me this time. It was about goading me. It took every bit of strength to hold myself back. But in anger, I stood and I screamed at it. Go away! Just, just leave me alone! And with that, the cat's body suddenly slumped and fell. When I looked in the bush once more, there was no sign of the law. It had gone, leaving me with the poor animal's body. I buried it that night, sobbing the whole time. The next morning, I called my son and asked him to take me to a home, one that's far away from the sea. Since then, I've just been waiting. I've been ready to go for days. I don't want to take anything with me. It hurts to just look at it all now. All I wanted to do was leave. I thought that maybe if I got far away. But, like always, I just kept underestimating the law. I thought that my son would be coming this morning. He was supposed to. He rang at midday, a good few hours after he was expected. He was hysterical. He kept saying no one could understand why. No one knew why. Why what? I asked. Why they dig her up, Dad? Why would anyone take her body? And now it's night time. It's night, and my head is hurting, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what's upstairs. I'm afraid of the sound of smashing glass that I heard an hour ago, and the strange and dreadful thumping that followed it. And I'm most afraid because when I went upstairs to check on what had happened, nothing looked different. <laughs> it was the most normal thing I've seen in the world. A sight I've seen a thousand times. My bedroom. The lampshade on. My slippers ready. And worst of all, the duvet-covered shape of my wife, her chest rising and falling.
Tiny Terrors is an anthology horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. This episode was directed by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Mike LeBeau. To find additional information or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website, www.tinyterrorspod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tiny Terrors Pod. Or join the Pulp Audio Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. And finally, thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.